is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. fans welcome back to amazing avenue audio the show my name is brian with me as always is chris and we have an old friend on the show uh a mets podcaster from way back in the day but also a current mets podcaster he'll tell you more about that a little bit say hello to ted berg everybody hi ted hi how's it going guys good it's always nice to have ted on the show it's always nice to be on the show thank you yeah it's it's uh it's been a it's been a minute but it is nice to have ted back uh in, in the world of doing mets things it's been a bit. I think the last time I came on was in like the after the 2019 season, and so in some ways it's been a while, and in some ways that's like that just happened, and because there's there's been no, like no time has moved forward really for all of <laughs> one of those years. Yeah, I want to say maybe the last time you were on, I think you were actually subbing for Chris. I think Chris wasn't here last time you were. That's on. right. Yeah. So. It's been a while since since you and Chris have been on the pod together. But I think I I think I filled those shoes admirably. <laughs> I, I think you did as well. I remember yeah, you I would, recommended. I would say yeah, I, I was wildly pipped, except uh, you know you didn't stick around. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say you talked about like a ska record, maybe. Uh, you were on. And so... uh, oh no! What I recommended it yeah. was um it was a like a funk soul uh, jam band type record. It was like a jazz. Thing, uh, I think it was uh, the Stanton Moore album. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. And I, cause I, I only know that because I went back to try to find out because I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I don't want to say the same thing I said last <laughs> time. So I got to go back and see what I said last time. I, I, I do have to say, I was going to try to save the topic for a little bit later in, uh, in the conversation, but 
I just want to let everybody know that Ted's avatar as we're recording is an embarrassing photo of Cole Hamels. Uh, I have... I have Cole Hamill's photos for so many of my like images on various sites and and uh, whatever you call Skype uh, communication devices that I think that there are a bunch of people out there who just think I, I look like especially people who don't know what Cole Hamill's look like just think that's me. <laughs> I mean, there are worse looking guys to be confused for. Good looking guy, you know. Yeah. I mean, all, all the, you know. I mean, the, the some of the the style choices aside, I mean, or I guess you know, no uh, more power to them. They wouldn't be mine, obviously. But um, yeah, you know, handsome man. I'll take it. Uh, you could do worse than Cole Hamels. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit more, but tell the folks what the name of your podcast is, and we'll I said we'll dig into it more, but give them a little tease now. Yeah, so um, I'm I am co-hosting the Metrospective podcast uh, from the Athletic with with Tim Britton, a guy probably Mets fans know pretty well, who's there the the Athletic's Mets beat writer. And uh, as I said we'll get into that a little bit more later. But you know there is some news in Mets land today. Uh, after throwing a successful round of live BP, Carlos Carrasco tweaked his right hamstring while doing some calisthenics or some just general conditioning work and uh, looks questionable for opening day. Now, he was already dealing with a a sore elbow. He had a bad reaction to his second COVID vaccine, and he showed up late to camp. So calling him like a lock for opening day was probably never really accurate, but it seems now like he is really not aligned for opening day. Um, Ted, since you're the guest, we'll start with you. How worried are you about Cookie's uh, just general situation right now? I mean, he's a guy who I don't think they would be counting on for more than 150 innings. And so I think, you know, he's he's been, you know, he's been able to pitch and pitch well uh, at various points for long stretches. But he's not been a guy who is like that, you know, every fifth day to 100 inning horse by any means. And so I think you just hope, okay, maybe this is his injury for the year and it puts him on the sideline. It gives him a late start, but then he stays healthy. Uh, And so the optimist says, okay, well, at least we're getting it out of of the way early when everybody else is healthy. Um, And then, of course, the pessimist says, like, all right, here we go. We're not going to see this guy. Chris, do you have any hot take here? Uh, No, no hot take. I, I guess I would say it's just a little more concerning than it was you know a few days ago uh with kind of feeling like oh maybe he'll make his first start on april 15th now uh you know depending on the details that we get maybe it'll be may 1st to may 15th somewhere in that range uh i think i just want to point out though we're all we're all sort of sort of still in a very like 1994 through 2020 mets mode where we're just hearing that he tweaked his hamstring and assuming that the truth is way worse than that. <laughs> but like maybe right. it's different now. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is that unknown. And then I think there's also, uh, you know, adjusting back to a 162 game season uh, where it, time has been totally warped for us since the last time we had one of those. And, and, you know, to have this uh, sort of minor injury situation, feels like uh, a bigger deal maybe because we we just had a 60 game season and any injury was so significant uh so i i, I guess my optimism is just that when he's able to pitch i expect that he'll be very good and he's flown under the radar a little bit uh it's a point that i like to make with noah Syndergaard that not that he's flown under the radar with mets fans or or in baseball in general but 
you just look back at how good these guys have have been. Uh, both of them have been in that upper tier of pitchers, uh, even though they might not get mentioned in the same breath as Jacob Degrom and Clayton Kershaw, and you know a variety of others. Yeah, I would I would say that you know the reason that the hamstring slightly alarms me more than the uh, elbow barking is that you hope he wasn't overcompensating for the elbow and that's why he hurt the hamstring you know that 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 tends to be a thing that happens in baseball where something is bothering somebody a little bit and they're adjusting their workouts accordingly and then wind up hurting themselves again so i would hope that this mean i hope this doesn't mean that his elbow was worse than originally reported and therefore that's why this happened but if these are two separate incidences incidents not incidences incidents i can speak then i kind of feel like what ted said maybe is is right on which is you know if he's going to get hurt this year maybe this is maybe this is the injury and then he'll he'll take it slow and come back relatively you know strong after this um the the good news of this is that for the first time in recent memory the mets actually have starting pitching depth and so there are a couple of guys who were probably going to be making the team as bullpen pieces or start the year in AAA, who now have a shot. Um, we've talked on the podcast before about all these guys, but to me it's really between Joey Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto. Do either of you guys have a strong stake like in the Jared Eikhoff sweepstakes, or do you guys pretty much agree that those are the two names we should be looking out for? Is, yeah. there, a, is there like a Jared Eikhoff lobby out there? <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not, if he proves himself the guy, then it's not like I'm going to, you know, go to the mat for, for Jordan Yamamoto. But, uh, I don't know. It's, it seemed to me always like, like Lucchese might've had a leg up over, over Yamamoto. I don't, I don't know that that's, if that's right, or that's just the way I've read it. But, uh, no, I have no strong, I have no strong feelings. I, this is a weird thing to say, but it's like, uh, <laughs> so it's a bad thing to say on a podcast. Like I, I kind of just with with a decision like that at this point, the Mets are you have to just they're just working with so much more information than I'm ever gonna get, and so like you just kind of have to hope they're not screwing it up and they're looking at the right stuff because like I don't I don't know from Joey Lucchese or or Jordan Yamamoto they both had some success neither is a, a Cy Young Award winner you know, mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I think I think Eikhoff is is definitely a significant step down. Um, and this is something that came up last week too, when we just had that little bit of news on the uh, on the elbow soreness for Carrasco. But to be in a spot where we were all very happy about the depth that they put together for this starting rotation, uh, and then have to go to it immediately, I, you know, I, I don't see that as uh, as like panic mode yet. And I know um, I, I, some some Mets fans might instinctively. As Ted mentioned a few minutes ago, go go to that. But uh, yeah, I I will say I would go to the mat for Jordan Yamamoto's dog, who has a criminally low follower account on Instagram. I have and... not seen. I gotta look up. Hold on, we gotta pause the show while I look up his dog. <laughs> What's his dog's Instagram handle? Ah, uh, let's see. I should I should have that ready that before I mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm write Jordan Yamamoto's dog and see if that works. Wow. Yeah, I'm going Jordan Yamamoto, and I'm looking if he has linked to it on his Instagram. Uh, that's a good call. The, the, the puppy, call. the the puppet purr. 
T H E P U P P I. Oh, the pup Piper. I can read. Underscore. I'm just going to go to Jordan Yamamoto's Instagram. I think <laughs> that not, was the right call. It's, it's not on there. He's no, not on, well, that's why he doesn't have any. That's why he doesn't have a, a following. Yeah, right? He's it, got a. He's got his a most recent photo. Has uh, has the I mean, Piper mis- mystery pack. solved? Mystery solved. If he needs a, a social media manager for his dog, I am unemployed. <laughs> um, go- it's it's a golden retriever. Um, yeah, it's the pup Piper, and then an underscore. Ted, um, uh, I see. I see the dog. Like, do I need to see the Instagram if I if I'm just on Jordan Yamamoto's no, Instagram no, page? Like, no. It's a good dog. Yeah, it's a good dog. I I will say that that the pup maybe balances out the churv for me. I do love a new pitch. I love a portmanteau. You know, mm-hmm. churv is a is an inherently good thing on a lot of levels. But he, as far as I know, Joey Lucchese is dogless. Now, if 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 it turns out he has a cute puppy, I think I have to go fully into Lucchese territory here. These are the hard hitting things we talk about on the show. Yeah, no, I think that's. I think that's. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm lost in in Jordan Yamamoto's. I'm like watching the this dog develop backwards through time because I'm scrolling downwards through Jordan Yamamoto's, like looking for anything that isn't like him on the beach with his wife or his partner, um, or or him with the dog. Like it's just. It's a very repetitive. I'm looking for something more interesting out of Jordan Yamamoto's Instagram, to be honest, and and I'm not getting it. So I'm just gonna click away. Uh yeah, I guess so, so another point for Joey Lucchese. <laughs> um, I, can we talk about the churv for a second? I, I feel like I cannot remember the last time that somebody invented a pitch. I, is this the first in in quite some time that you guys can remember? Uh, so Corey Kluber, I think, uh, will not label his his breaking pitch because it's sort of like in between, like that. Um, and, uh, Joe, Joe Musgrove, the guy on the, on the pirates now, mm-hmm. uh, he throws a pitch that no one else throws. He throws like a, uh, he, I think he threw, it's like a fastball that he throws with just one finger on the ball or something. He has like a weird sinker pitch that, that is his own, I believe. Then yeah, for, for, for me, every time I hear it, all I can do is put it into the title of trouble with the curve. So <laughs> I'm just looking forward to writing a, a headline on a recap or a Mets Morning News or something that says Trouble with the Churve. Uh, that I, that's my level of analysis right now. <laughs> that, that would be that's like a that would be a New York Post. If if anyone if the Churve catch you have you need New York Post readers to know what the Churve is. So you'd need that to become a pretty well known term first. So I guess if you want that. Like we got to start beating the drum for just everybody knowing what the chirp is. Joey Lucchese does have a puppy. Oh, oh, look at that. Okay, I am hashtag Team Lucchese. <laughs> Official. I'll stand up for Piper, even though I couldn't read his name. <laughs> I have joined. I have joined your your podcast to to surf random Mets Instagram feeds. I guess he also hangs out with uh with with Mike Mustakas and and Eric Hosmer sometimes. There's a there's a photo with them. Um, he, this is, I'll say better Instagram than Jordan Yamamoto. Okay. That's, that's, that's a hot take that you only get on this podcast. Um, I, this is a, a crazy tangent. I'm going to go on it anyway. I feel like if the churv were to take off, he would host SNL and they'd have to work the churv into every sketch. Like when, do you guys remember there was a, um, an Olympic like snowboarder who hosted SNL? Like in the early 2000s, and he had a move called the dinner roll. It was like a big deal at the time, and like every fucking sketch in that SNL episode was just about the dinner roll. And I feel like 
SNL loves a like kitschy name of a sports thing. So if jo- if Joey Lucchese takes off this year, uh, let's start the petition to get him on SNL. Yeah, I think that would be like that's like a, one of those good like if if Joey Lucchese is going to host Saturday Night Live, something has gone very right for the Mets. Yes. So let's let's hope that that happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess let's talk about them as pitchers for a second. I feel like both of these guys are probably considerably better than Rick Porcello or Michael Waka was for the Mets last year. And so I think whoever gets the gig is probably going to be, you know, okay. They're not going to likely light the world on fire. They're probably going to be your prototypical fifth starter, you know, somewhere hopefully, you know, below a five ERA giving you innings. I, I saw a couple of people um, stump for having them actually piggyback together because Lucchese is really good two times through the order and then falls apart. So maybe you start him for the first two times through, then you bring in Yamamoto. And I am all for the Mets doing more interesting things with their starting pitching, with their pitching in general. So I would be totally on board with that. I don't know if uh, Luis Rojas as a new manager if that is, you know, there was some there was some talk last year that maybe he was overwhelmed at a few points with with sort of the more complex pieces of managing. So I don't know how he would do with keeping those guys, you know, uh, keeping their workloads up in between starts and those sorts of things. But I would be on board with a piggyback situation. Do either of you guys? And I'm gonna. I realized last time I didn't say who should go first, and so you both start at the same time. So Chris, do you have any strong feelings on a piggyback situation? I like it. I, I think it would be a good use of the 26th spot on the roster, uh, which was set to be introduced last year, and then COVID happened, and it's still happening. But, uh, but yeah, no, I I like it. I think what makes it appealing to me is that the bullpen seems so shaky, aside from Edwin Diaz and Trevor May, right now, where like I'm sure a couple of the random dudes will be decent, but if you're putting together an eight-man bullpen. And on paper, you trust two, maybe three of them at the start of the year. Um, you start to get into a situation where you can be tempted to burn guys out. Uh, so a, a piggyback also sounds really good on paper. And I don't know if it's realistic to expect that anybody could ever really pull it off. But the ideal scenario there is to truly devote that game, that spot in the rotation to those two guys doing everything they can to pitch the entire game. Um, so whether it's one of them pitching, pitching four, five, six innings to start and the other one finishing that game or, you know, a little more dependent on the, the opponent or anything. Uh, it's something that I feel like I would love to do in OOTP or, uh, you know, in, in a video game. And I could be strict about it, but those results don't matter. Uh, to the actual Mets, so I, I don't know. I I'm all for going into the season and, and starting things that way. Um, I just don't know if my expectations are realistic. Ted, I I mean I am like a sort of a a, a zealot for uh, changing the just the whole way pitching staffs are constructed um so so yeah like yeah of course i think they should i think a piggyback would be cool but like i would um i think chris's idea of saying like okay these two guys give us nine is one way of looking at it. i think another way would be like an and again there's a lot 
to this and and pitchers are are human beings and and baseball players are are creatures of habit so it would take uh more than the mets are going to do be in the next three weeks uh to change players philosophies i think but like i would love to see a team that said like yeah okay every fifth day we are piggybacking yamamoto and lucchese but we're counting on them for for you know 50 pitches each not not you know it's not a dual start it's it's like a short outing and then you have like and then in those in that situation you say like and then we have them on their throw day and then so like on the third day then they're both available out of the bullpen for an inning like i i feel like the i feel like pitching is still just like a long way from being mm. optimized fully and i think it's come so far recently like it just the 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 rate of change um Right. Like, you know, when uh, I mean, you guys have been doing this for a while, too. Like, it's just not that long ago when I was like, can you believe the dedication to the capital C closer and, the you know, the eighth inning guy? Like we, you know, complaining about Jerry Manuel and, and, and all of these like proscribed bullpen roles. And, and now, you know, we've seen like teams like the the Rays and 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 the way the Red Sox use their their pitchers in the postseason a couple of years ago. And, and, and Andrew Miller, like there's every year after year, there's examples of of wildly new approaches to how to get through 27 outs. And so, um, you know, obviously it's one thing in the postseason because guys don't have to have like the, they're not pacing themselves, but I want to see teams do more in the regular season to, to mess with this, like this weird, like why, why is it a five man rotation where they all throw a hundred pitches? Like, is that, is that the human limit? Is that, is that it? You can throw a hundred pitches once every six days, or is it like, this is just what they've settled on and what they've gotten used to. Um, and guys could just as readily throw 60 pitches every three days. And I, I don't know. I just, um, I think there's a lot to it and i wish i could start a baseball team from scratch and just be like there's no such thing as starter or reliever here we're gonna go about this a whole new way have you read that book by uh ben Lindbergh and i forget who his co-writer was the only rules it has to work mm-hmm. yeah i have yeah so um, kind, of, and, kind of that experience uh yeah a little bit yeah i mean uh, yeah we don't have to review that book right now but just you know a similar idea mine, just... mine would be i would be mine would be a major league team Oh, okay. So, okay. You know, they, I would be in charge of the, this. Is the real deal? Someone's giving okay. me here. Okay. So there's an expansion club that you are just given, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I like, think that is you, the. Uh, we've the really end. liked your embarrassing photos of Cole Hamels that you ripped off the internet. <laughs> um, now you're in charge of everything here. And that's like the ethical way to do it because at least they're making major league salaries and all that. Uh, if you do it with a minor league team, you know. Yeah. You feel like you're jeopardizing people even I, don't know, I mean we're still i mean we're still like violating all like there are all sorts of murky ethics in what i'm doing like not you know because like we're going to try to get them into wearable tech and and <laughs> tracking you know so so there's a lot there's a lot i'm doing that's sort of shady and underhanded but um i think i think over the table is just like coming coming to the guys straight up on on day one and saying you're not a starting pitcher anymore you're you're a guy who throws as many innings as as we can possibly get out of you in a in a healthy and responsible way, uh, because like Jacob Degrom throws twice between starts, and that 
deeply bothers me like that that there's and I know he needs them I know he needs them to get better I'm not saying like oh they need to ride Jacob deGrom harder somehow than they already have but it like disturbs me on some like deep fan level that there are pitches that Jacob deGrom is throwing that are not counting in baseball games like I want every single one feels precious to me and like like they should just kind of find a way like then okay so if he's throwing 30 pitches on his throw day even if they're at 75 percent they're better than what any like we've seen the guys the Mets have had, right? Like this is Jacob Degrom. Jacob Degrom is seventy five seventy five percent of Jacob Degrom is still like the third best pitcher on the Mets staff. So if if that's what he's doing, like I just wasn't throw the first two innings. I, I don't I don't know. I just I yeah. I want I want more Jacob Degrom. That's really the whole point of it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, that segues us really nicely into the ungodly spring training that he's having. Now, he's, he's having, rather. We have to put out the usual caveats. It's spring training. He's not facing the best lineups. Small sample size, etc. But, I mean, it is unbelievable to watch what he is doing in spring. He gave up a run on Tuesday, and he looked like he was going to walk into the dugout and punch a hole in the earth. He looked so angry. This guy is just locked in in a crazy, crazy way. And I don't really have a question here. I just want to say, like, isn't this awesome? Because I think it's very awesome. I think it's extremely awesome. I also think, like, I, I just brought this up with with Tim on the, on the podcast uh, the other day, like, I think that now, and and it's it's feeling like this is like a full ham here for for Jacob Degrom already. And uh, Tim Tim said that we were doing over unders, and he said three hundred strikeouts, which is like such a ridiculously bold number to set as the over under. Um, and yet I was like I was thinking about three hundred strikeouts for Degrom too. Um, and I think also like the now what we're watching with Degrom is like if he does this for one more year or two more years. He's a Hall of Famer, you know, and I think that when a guy comes up at 27, you sort of assume that's out. But now you start comparing Grom to like Sandy Koufax. It's really not that far off. Like it's a it's a short run of dominance, but he's been so dominant, and there's no sign that it's going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, the the way he looks like he's still potentially improving, uh, and then adding velocity, especially as a guy who seems like. If and when, and then there's a when somewhere, the velocity started to trend in the other direction. He seems like a guy who could adapt to that pretty well. But now when the velocity trends in the other direction, he's going to be down to 101. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if either yeah. of you guys saw um, 
they were talking with uh, Mets pitching coach Jeremy Hefner on the broadcast. I think it was Tuesday. And he was basically saying that he just thinks it's because DeGrom has less innings on his arm than other guys do because he didn't start throwing until he was in college. And when he started throwing in college, he was a closer. And so it's not like he has, you know, 20 years before getting to the majors of throwing, which, you know, some guys before they get to the major leagues have been throwing a baseball for at least 10 or 15 years. He didn't have that. And so just the combination of his incredible work ethic, his unbelievable focus, and the lack of, of innings that are on his arm, Hefner seemed to believe like, you know, this that his velocity uptick is something that can continue a little while longer. I mean, it can't continue forever, right? He's not going to be throwing 106 or anything like that. But, you know, his average <laughs> fastball velocity is, you know, I want to say it started at like 94 and we're up to 98.5 now or so. That's just you don't see that it's it's just a sight to behold especially that it's been across like his early 30s yeah it's very weird um and it's awesome i think that i would almost say i don't i don't know that i like obviously jerry jeremy hefner is the mets pitching coach and i am a guy sitting in a pillow fort in an empty apartment next to my own uh rights but like i don't i don't know that i buy the I don't know that I buy that it's like a fresh arm aspect of it because Grom had had Tommy John surgery in, in the minors, right? So like he did damage to his arm at some point. Um, I would almost be more likely to believe like that a general like relative inexperience as a pitcher like that there's so, in some way he might be still on the improvement curve because like the maybe the mechanics are just getting all that much better from more and more reps. And like, maybe like maybe Matt Harvey already had all those reps when he got to the, by the time he made the majors and, and DeGrom is just getting them now. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know why DeGrom is aging seemingly in reverse, but it's a glorious thing to, to watch. Um, 300 strikeouts. That's a that's a big number, though. I don't know about that. Um, I, I mean, mean, if he was if he if he kept up his 2020 pace for a full season, I think he gets there. He was he it jumped up a lot last year his strikeout rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the, uh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Oh yeah, no, just on the on the age front too. Uh, a couple of guys who weren't pitchers, one one isn't a pitcher and still is active, but. Uh, you look at this this arc of the age he was uh, when he came up and how good he's gotten to be. Um, you know, Ichiro comes to mind as a guy who, you know, he didn't play in Major League Baseball until his late 20s. Uh, and Nelson Cruz, who has mm-hmm. a legitimate shot at 500 home runs. Um, he's 40 years old. And, you know, he didn't really get regular Major League playing time until he was 28 and 29, 30. Uh, but those types of guys that that come up that late and then, are either that good or last that long or both. Um, I think DeGrom has a pretty realistic shot of, of getting to that point of Hall of Fame discussion, which even a year or two ago may have been a crazy thing to say. Yeah, I mean, Tim Tim brought up David Ortiz in the in the same conversation that with the 300 strikeouts. And I think that's another like a, a guy who who came up late, and you would say like four years into his career, you're like, well, no way, this guy makes the Hall of Fame, and then when he's still doing it at 39 yeah but my point with the grom is like i don't even think he needs to do he needs to get 10 years of service time to get on the ballot or whatever but um yeah i don't even think he needs to be this good for that much longer to have a a hall of fame resume like i think that 
just being this dominant is like if I mean look Sandy Koufax is the is the example. Like people hold up Sandy Koufax as one of the as one of the great pitchers of all time, rightfully. Um, he had six good seasons, you know, and and uh, a handful of of very mediocre ones at the start of his career. Um, so I mean, I don't know. I just I don't I think Degrom is one and a half Jacob Degrom seasons away from everybody being like, okay, yeah, this guy's a Hall of Famer. I mean, I can't remember the last time that there was a high peak guy who made it into the Hall of Fame. Usually, the guys that make it into this point, and I'm not I'm not advocating for this, but I, it tends to be the guys who play a very long time. You know, Sandy Koufax is the classic example of the high peak, but not a sustained, you know, 15, 20 year career. But I can't think of the last guy who went in with like a shorter, really dominant period. Could either of you guys pull somebody offhand? Uh, Kirby Puckett, maybe? Yeah, that might be the. I mean, that's that's not, that's still longer than, than DeGrom, and he wasn't nearly as dominant, but uh, he was, he had a pretty short career. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was a, a different situation. Um, that might be yeah, the one, guy, though. The one who didn't get consideration really, but it was a it's my favorite Sandy Koufax comparison is Johan Santana. Um, right. Yeah. Who? Uh, and it's weird. Like the vibe around Degrom is just clearly the best pitcher in baseball, and Santana had that, but he had it when he was like twenty four. Yeah. So uh, you know, there's definitely something for how you finish and and all of that. Um, and I don't know, uh, Johan is forever somebody to be cherished in terms of Mets history, who I think was uh, done a little bit wrong. Not not necessarily by anybody involved, uh, you know, with the Mets or anything, but just freak injuries, and that was it. Um, and I think that took all the uh, oxygen out of his potential case. But he's he's the most similar to Koufax in, you know, in that sweet spot of being that good for several years uh, and then – just not pitching anymore. Yeah, I think the difference is that like people our ages' dads didn't fall in love with Johan Santana the way they did with Sandy Koufax, right? Like Sandy Koufax right. was just like, and Koufax had the World Series experience, and and uh, I think a few like a couple more Cy Youngs. Like there there's a there's some hardware differences there too. But yeah, it's a it's a good call. Like I, uh, it makes me sad that Johan Santana didn't get more more Hall of Fame consideration. Yeah. Um... I think that with DeGrom, like, one of the things that you see every now and then as a Mets fan, I remember when David Wright was having his, like, you know, again, David Wright's a guy who had an incredibly high peak, but not a long career. I remember when Yankee fan friends of mine were like, dude, I would give anything to have David Wright on my, on my team. Like, people people who weren't Mets fans were taking real notice of him. And, I, and my Yankee fan friends all drool over DeGrom as much as we Mets fans do. And I feel like that's it's not a it's not a scientific poll here, but I feel like every every generation or so there's a player that just gets recognized by everybody in baseball as this guy is is the man right now. And I feel like And it's not Jordana Valdespin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, I, I was at a Valdespin uh walk off Grand Slam game, so I will always have a soft spot for him. Um but yeah, you know, there's just there's just this this acknowledgement of this guy is just the baddest right now, and it's so fun because Degrom, like on on one hand, like I wish that 
you know, Marcus Stroman has so much fun on the mound that if Marcus Stroman pitched the way DeGrom pitched, it would be the most fun broadcast in the history of baseball, right? Just him laughing and dancing around, just having this. DeGrom is, is no nonsense at all. You know, they're very different players, but there's just something about the just the utter dominance of DeGrom that, I mean, I don't remember. I can't remember a Met player in a long time being that much of a surefire just stud every time he takes the mound. Even even Johan, because Johan on the Mets was not quite Johan on the Twins, unfortunately. I mean, Harvey for one year, right? For the the one year, it felt like Harvey was like that. Yes. Like one calendar year, basically. Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm actually curious for Ted's take on, on something that comes to mind with that uh that just sort of universal admiration so we're all you know similar in age and we've all been Mets fans for a long time and uh, and followed all that so I don't know to me it's like okay I'm, I'm getting a little older getting a little more mature in my fandom uh, I can appreciate players like Giancarlo Stanton when he was on the Marlins or uh you know a variety of Yankees whether it was Robinson Cano in his time there or you know whereas Going back to uh, you know the late '90s, I despised all of them, and you know obviously they were in the midst of a dynasty. But Ted, like, do you get a sense? Is that is that accurate? That it's like okay, my perception is changing, and I'm appreciating other players more. Or do you, do you get the sense that people around baseball uh, fans, in particular, are a little more open to that? To, like, respecting players other than their own. I mean, I think that it probably... It depends on the circles in which you traffic, probably. Like, I think that probably... Like, I I have had that experience as well. But I think that it's probably that, like, I'm 40 years old and, like, I just don't spend a lot of time with people who are like, I hate this guy because he's on a different baseball team, you know? (laughs) So, um, like, I think that that is probably something a lot of us thought in high school. And, like, I don't know. I would... I would be curious. I'll, I'll, I don't know. I don't know. When I think about, like, I have um, nephews who are thirteen and nine, and they're they're huge baseball fans. And I don't know. I don't know. I would have to ask them about. They're Mets fans. I would have to ask them about about Yankees players and like what they feel. But like, I don't get the sense that it's like that. And I think that there's a lot that's different about about being a kid these days. You know, and and maybe. Like there's a lot less negativity and like a negativity, I think, is a lot less welcome. Um, So maybe that's part of it. But um, maybe they're just like everybody has a little bit of a better perspective. Like I can't imagine I can't imagine that my nephews don't think Aaron Judge is cool, for example. And um, and I me at 13, the way I was, I would have been like, I hate that guy. He stinks. Yeah, Yeah. I, I, I think that there's more of a sense now. I, I too have my kids are too young to have any sort of real fandom on their own, but I have nephews who are big Yankee fans, and they'll often say to me, "The Mets stink," but and they'll throw like three players they like out there. So I think that there's still maybe team related just trash talking, but maybe and maybe it's because just the transient nature of players. You know, they're the guys don't stick with the same team their whole careers the way they did. I mean, we never really the three of us all grew up after free agency, right? But I still think that players probably change teams more now than they did 25 years ago when I was first, you know, really deep into my baseball fandom. Uh, so maybe that's why, too, is that, 
you know, you, you don't get too attached to guys on your team anymore. Um, which is kind of sad, but just the nature of the game, and I'm not going to lament, uh, you know, that. There's plenty of other stuff in baseball to lament. That's not one of them for me. Um, so I, I do want to get something in before we, we run out of time with Ted here. So today it was announced by Governor Cuomo that uh, both Yankee Stadium and City Field will be open for 20% capacity on opening day, and then that number will seemingly rise as the season goes on. Um, all three of us are uh, one vaccine into, uh, you know, uh, the COVID recovery. But I, I, Chris and I have a very specific uh, sort of um, stance on as part of the Amazing Avenue staff where we are two of, I'd say, the, the most uh, cautious in terms of getting back to normal. And whether that's because of, you know, family conditions or just, I don't know what, we just tend to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to that. Ted, what's it going to take for you to get to a game at City Field this year? Um, it's it's a good. I, I want to go. You know, I really want to go. Uh, but I would say if like you know, I'm gonna, I'll probably at some point uh, pitch some freelance work. So like, there's there's the, always the chance that someone hires me for something, and and that would certainly get me out if 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 it was uh something I was going to report in in person, but. Uh, as a fan, I mean, it's hard because, you know, I, I wouldn't want to go. I, I would want to bring my kids, and my my daughter is is seven months old now, so like I don't want to mess around with exposing myself or exposing her before she's a year old. Like that seems to be a, a benchmark of so- sorts. Um, so I think it would just need to take. Uh, and again, I'll be I'll be fully vaccinated. You know, I'll be I get my second shot next week. And so I guess it takes a couple weeks for it to be fully in effect. But, um, you know, by mid April, I'll be good to go. I just don't want to I we don't know yet, you know, if you can bring it home or whatever else. So it's going to take a much lower rate. Like, I, I hate to be like para I seem paranoid or cautious about it or whatever, because it's not that's not my way. But now I have kids, you know, like I can't I can't get my daughter sick because I want to go to a baseball game. Yeah, I mean, I I know I I'm in the same boat. You know, both of my kids have had seizures based on high fever, and so put, putting them anywhere near a, a virus that causes a high fever is 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 a big fucking no for me. I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I I can't imagine that. Yeah, and yeah, and to, I mean, to us, uh, to me, uh, none of that sounds paranoid or or anything. I think it's going to be interesting to watch people navigate this. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm excited that, you know, in the near future, we'll have the opportunity to do some limited things that we haven't been able to do over the last year. Um, and then just sort of take it from there. You know, when uh, also like, I, you know, I like, I, I would love to see a baseball game at 20% capacity, like for the novelty sort of, but I've been to baseball games at twenty percent capacity, and they suck, right? Yeah. Like that's not that's not what I want to see. I want to see a baseball game at one hundred percent capacity, right? Like I want to see I don't want to see a baseball game with no one in the like a good baseball game, an exciting game with no one in the stands. Like that's not that's not what I can watch it on a TV. I, it wouldn't be any different. I want like the shaking stadium experience, and and you know, we're not going to get that this year, right? Yeah, no, the that. August 2019 was really the last time that I, I mean, I'm sure I went to some games after the Mets faded after that surge, uh, d- closer to the end of the season. But those August games where it was just like, you know, holy shit, they're, 
they're really going to do this. They're going to kind of come out of nowhere and make the playoffs and who knows what will happen. And the, the place was packed. Standing room was packed. We, you know, we had a gathering. Um, was it an Mason Avenue? Was it an Argish thing, Brian, that we I, did? I think, well, I, I know you and I were there. I think we invited others too. <laughs> okay. I think so. I, I don't know. There, or maybe it might have been my birthday. My birthday was like right at the peak of that season. So it might have just been one of those like, hey, anybody who's going to the game anyway, since there's 45,000 people here, um, you know, we're going to be on the field level standing around. And, you know, we're like three people deep trying to, you know, find a, a way to look in and, and see the field. Um, so, yeah, Ted, totally to go. To go from that being a still pretty recent memory and probably like the third or fourth most, most recent game that I've gone to, to like a poorly attended April night game setup, except the poor attendance is spread out over the entire ballpark. Um, you know, that that's going to be weird. And I, I'm with you. I. It's like it's so weird how it operates on you that it now feels crazy that you went to a baseball game with 55 or not for 55, but that's Shea Stadium. But, you know, with 45,000 people in the stands. Right. Like that's just like that's almost it's like hard to believe now. Like uh, I was I was going to go to Curacao last year on like March 19th or something. And like now it's like, really, I was going to go to Curacao. like that. That's impossible. Right, like I can't even get to New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my I have to say this is going to somewhat contradict everything we just said. I had an opportunity last year to to get a uh, to get media credentials and go to a game in the empty ballpark. I'm sort of mad I didn't. I mean, I'm glad I didn't take the risk for the sake of everyone's health, but it would have been interesting to see a game in that environment. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I felt that way. And like, again, it was it was like a, you know, a, a grim backdrop to it. But like there was a, a big part of me was uh, when they had the, the Freddie Gray demonstrations in, in Baltimore and they and they had no fans at the Orioles game. Like, I really wanted to go check that out. Like that seemed like something uh, not an experience you'd be able to get. Certainly it didn't seem like an experience you'd be able to get like very readily uh, right. in three years um, with, with empty ballparks. But at the time, it was like, wow, empty ballpark. That would be something to see. Yeah, yeah. And and we keep saying this on the show, but Chris and I are really lucky because we were in Port St. Lucie last, last February. So we, we got some live baseball in 2020. And I recognize how privileged that makes us for a lot of reasons. Um, but, yeah, but I mean, you, got, you got spring training baseball. Yeah, but it was. I mean, how many? fans... It's better than nothing. Yeah, it's better many, than I got. Exactly. How many fans would have yeah. would have killed for that? You know, come come June when there was nothing going on, and it seemed like maybe there wasn't going to be a season. It felt like, well, thank goodness I got to see some baseball this year. Um, I'm still shocked. I'm still shocked they got through the season as well as they did. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, yeah. Because I've met baseball players. Like I'm, in, you know, no offense, <laughs> but like there are a lot of guys where you're like, this guy's not wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think to, to sort of put a pin in this, I think for me, the rate would have to be really low and they'd have to see if, if they said, if Cuomo said today, we're going to be at 20% capacity all year, no matter what, then maybe I buy a ticket in September because I would, I would feel like the rates will likely be much lower and there'll be plenty of room and it won't be everyone on top of each other. But are they going to be super expensive though? 
well, well, opening day is right in, well, in the secondary market. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny, uh, you know, similar to the idea of 45,000 people in one place sounding like a foreign concept now. Uh, the amount of time I used to spend on ticket websites for music and baseball <laughs> and yeah. hockey was a lot. And now I'm like, oh, is StubHub still in business? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious what. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some nine dollar tickets for night games, but there, there's also a whole weird thing with everything they announced. With uh, you know, if you're a season ticket holder or a plan holder, basically your tickets don't exist, but you get credits and you can use the credits to get pod seats. And I don't know, it, it's uh, that nine dollar ticket that you see right now on StubHub might not actually exist right in in a week. Right. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, it, it's weird. And, and to Brian's point, too, uh, if there were a map to like, OK, uh, you know, if the daily cases and positivity rate gets to this point, then capacity will, th- will, will be this. But I feel like it's going to just kind of stay on that line for anyone who, who might be in a similar spot as, as the three of us. And I know there are other Mets fans and baseball fans out there who, who feel that way as well. Um, but where those increases in capacity and the numbers coming down, it's, it's going to be like this weird thing of like, okay, when, when are we hitting that sweet spot of that's where I'm comfortable. And like, I just can't see buying tickets more than like a few days in advance and saying, okay, yep. We got to that point, you know, 70% of the population is vaccinated. The numbers are very low. Uh, you know, I'm vaccinated and, and, and all that, but it just seems so hard to predict that right now. I also feel like, you know, or Christian... like, I guess, I guess if I knew also, like you, even if you're exposed to the, va- to the disease with the vaccine, you won't transmit it. Like if I, if I, if I knew that that was the case, cause I think that they think right. that there's a chance that that's true. You know, they just don't know yet. If I knew that, then I think I'd go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess, I mean, like Chris and I have for a long time bought standing room only tickets at Mets games when we go together and just kind of hang mm-hmm. out on the concourse. Yeah. And, and I love that, but I feel like everybody's going to want to do that now because nobody wants to be stuck next to the, like the, uh, the guy who's, you know, aggressively eating his hot dog or sneezing into his shirt or whatever. Like that concept to me of sitting next to a gross person in a baseball game <laughs> used to, used to bother me like 10% of the time, but that would bother me a hundred percent of the time. Now I just, I, I feel like I just, I need to be reconditioned to be around people again. I yeah. get so like I get so disturbed when people cu- get close to me. It's like who who the hell do you think you are? Like are you are you are you really walking this close to me on the sidewalk? I'll punch you in the stomach. You know, right? Yeah, just, um, yeah. So I don't know. I think that's that's a like, we need like the whole world needs therapy for for like getting back to normal human amounts of contact. Right, and and there's there's this aspect of obviously uh, when things are going well. I love being at games. I, I've I've gone, you know, a couple seasons there when my wife, uh, you know, back in the first year or two that we started dating, she had an apartment in Queens that I could walk to Shea Stadium. Uh, you know, so I've had years where I've gone to 38, 39 games in a year. It's something I absolutely love to do. But, uh, you know, you go through this past, uh, uh, this past year, and it's like, okay, 
do I want to like be near this dude who's hating on the best players on the team and complaining about it? And, you know, you have that, like, do I want to endure that and take on some risk in the process? Yeah, like, it's yeah, very yeah, easy. It's to... like if there was no risk, you could sit me in the middle of like, pack me in, in a section of like, like that, like Beltron blamers, right? right? Like that, whatever that happened that like the Greg Poems guy, right? Just like all of that guy in me in a section. And like, I would be fine with it if I knew I wasn't going to get sick and get members of my family sick. Like I would really like to see a baseball game. Uh, it's not the fans, right? It's not the other fans. It's the, the fact that they might be like leaking virus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, Ted, before we get to our music picks, tell us about the podcast and what you're excited about uh, going into the season. Um, I'm I'm excited about I'm excited about the podcast. So yeah, we're doing uh, right now. It's it's weekly. Uh, I think we'll probably pick it up to two shows a week uh, in the in the season. Don't hold me to that because you know not maybe not every week, but I think that's the plan. Um, I, you know, I, I mean and. Tim and I don't know each other that well, which is kind of fun. Like I, I, he's a, he's someone I had interacted with online, like way back when he was, when he was working on the Red Sox beat and you know, someone I said hello to in passing at, at City Field, but not someone I, uh, I've spoken to, uh, certainly uh, the, the conversations I've had with him on the podcast are the longest conversations we've had. So it's sort of fun to, uh, to like get to know someone in a public way, um, you know, in like a, in like a open forum like that, um, and and it's gone well so far. I've I've enjoyed doing it, um, and it's it's a nice, uh, at least I find like uh, it's a nice for me right now. And like I don't want I, like I don't know. I I really enjoyed writing about baseball for a really long time. I don't. I'm not especially moved to want to write about baseball every day right now but like the podcast is sort of a perfect level of involvement for me where i can feel like i'm still like part of this world and and talking about the mets um and and more than anything like i think i, I can be you know when i had usa lay and, and just in general i think when you're when you're reporting on baseball professionally like you have to be a little bit hesitant to say you're a fan you especially have to be hesitant to say you know i grew up a mets fan and i've been a mets fan my whole life but uh now i'm kind of can just be a mets fan which is which is dope so i i'm enjoying that too and uh what day does the podcast drop at the moment uh, right now they're coming out on Wednesdays, but that's not a, that's not necessarily regular. It's just that Tuesdays tend to be the best day for uh, for us to record. Um, I, I suspect that'll remain true. Okay. Well, everyone, check it out. I I cannot pronounce it. Metrospectives. The metrospective. I feel like I mess it up every time um, I try to say it. But like that's... retrospective, but yes. metrospective. Yes. It predates me. The name. Um, <laughs> but. It is on, it is, if you, wherever you get your Amazing Avenue, Avenue audio, unless you're getting it from the front page of the site, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that after you listen to, after you listen to the like 19 different Amazing Avenue uh, podcasts, all of which are excellent, when you're like that desperate for, for Mets commentary, click on over to the Metrospective podcast and, and check us out. There's always room for more Mets podcasts. We recently spoke to Trevor. I know Mayer. it's it's like clearly your your the Amazing Avenue going mantra. <laughs> well, but like uh, you know, we spoke to to Trevor May recently, and we had kind of teased him because when he signed with the Mets, he said that 
the Mets have more podcasts than any team in the world. And I think he might be right, but you know, that's okay. There's a lot. There's a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, there's good ones. Like, yeah. Um, I don't know. I've, I've only, I've only scratched the surface of the, the Mets podcast world. Well, there is a CD underbelly, so be careful with how you proceed. Um, There's a yeah, of course there is. <laughs> that world I know. The, I know the CD underbelly of Mets fandom. Trust me. <laughs> You're from Long Island, after all. I am very much from Long Island. <laughs> so, uh, Ted, you're you're a guest. You get to go first. What is your music recommendation for our listeners this week? Um. So, uh, I so I think I said the same was true the last time I came on. Like I'm in such a bad way for finding new music because. I almost exclusively listen to music when I work out. And when I work out, I, I almost exclusively just listen to like Spotify playlists that I've made. Um, this is Wells Rotten territory for, for Amazing Avenue, I know. But uh, I had never really gotten into the Mountain Goats like earlier in, in my life. And, oh. and um, they're, one of their songs just happened to me in my head the week my, my son was born and wound up being like one of his standard lullabies. Um, and then that? from there, uh, um, the song is called "The Best Ever Death Metal Band" yeah. out, of te- out of Denton. Denton yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and and which is funny because it it ends with him saying "Hail, Hail Satan, Satan, Hail Satan," and that's how I put my child to bed. But like, it's a very <laughs> sweet song. Like, it's not it's not like I'm trying to be bleak about it. It's like, a, I, I I don't know. Um, so then, like, he found out that that was a real song, and then we start playing it on Google Home, and then you get the other songs. And I was like, I I actually I really dig this band. Um, so the, um, the album, the sunset tree, which I think is maybe like sort of generally considered their best or one of their best. Um, but new, new to me. And I've really enjoyed that. Uh, I also wanted to give out, so, um, also new to me is, is books on tape. Like I've been, I've taken to audio books for the first time in my life. Um, and I've been listening to, uh, Ted Chang stuff and there's a Ted Chang story, the life well life cycle of software objects that like just absolutely blew my mind. Uh, I have a perfect recommendation for you then, Ted, which is that John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats is an amazing writer as well, and he has two novels that are available on Audible, both of which are excellent. And he I reads will both check that out. He uh, oh, that's the one is called Wolf in White Van, and that is his first novel, and it's better than anyone's first novel should ever have. See, any right to this be. is going to make me, this is going to make me mad because that guy already is really good at one thing. Yes. Right. Like, why does he get to, because I'm trying to write fiction. Right. And I don't have like oh. albums upon albums of, of beautifully, beautifully crafted, crafted songs. So no, like I don't, I don't want that guy to be a good writer. Like I, I want him to just make good songs. <laughs> I just finished the book on tape of his second novel two days ago. It's called universal harvester. And uh, it takes place, a lot of it takes place in a video store in the year 2000, which is just like comfort food for me. Yeah, uh, that's like right. That's my wheelhouse. Yeah, I, a lot of me took place in a video store in 2000. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Universal Harvester and uh, Wolf and White Van by John Darnielle, both excellent, excellent uh, books. I, I will check them out. Okay. I, I, Chris. Uh, I was tempted to see if we could get Jeff on Skype there as, as the Mountain Goats yes. came, came into focus. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking about Jeff as it, as it came up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm going with a, a record that I sort of missed last year. I knew it came out. Um, I have tickets to a show that 
I love Bowery Ballroom, but they're holding my tickets hostage basically at this point for a show that would, would have happened over a year ago and is now scheduled for a little less than a year from today. Uh, but all of that aside, um, Ty Siegel is prolific. Uh, I think I've probably given a recommendation or two of his records on the show in the past. Uh, but the band Fuzz uh, is one of his projects, and he plays drums and sings uh, with two other guys. And I, the last tour that he came around on before COVID uh, was off a record that he drummed on, like, some of it, and then, you know, played guitar and other stringed instruments on the rest. But seeing that in person uh, was was memorable just because I've, I've seen Jack White do it, too, like, years ago with, um, uh, what was that side project he did? Uh, Dirty Weather, was that what it was called? The Raconteurs, maybe? No, no, not not the Raconteurs, who, who I also had seen, but yeah. Dead Weather. Dead Weather. Dead Weather, yes. Where he, you know, he's on drums and he played guitar for like one song, which is the tangent. Anyway, Ty Siegel's pretty awesome. Seeing him play drums and sing uh, was a lot of fun during that I tour. Saw, I mean, Prince, I once saw just like make a tour of the stage, taking everybody's instrument away from them and playing it better than them. <laughs> ah, I am so jealous you got to see Prince. I never got to do that. Twice. I saw Prince ah. twice. Yeah, and just, I mean, spectacular, spectacular live show. Yeah, I know someone who was at his final show. Wow. Or what, what, you know, wow. what turned out to be his final show. And that, that show was just piano, Prince, and the audience. Oh, man. That would um, But yeah, uh, so Ty Siegel's in this band called Fuzz. It's one of the many things he's re- recorded with over the last several years. Um, and they put an album simply called Three. Uh, and I finally got to listen to it just the other night <clears throat> and uh it, it just sounds like i'd be shocked if it wasn't recorded live uh, if if they did record it in separate parts at all they did a hell of a job making it just feel like live music was happening uh coming out of my living room speakers so uh yeah that's that's my rec this week uh very like black sabbathy riffs that kind of stuff uh, sort of you know those roots with ty siegel's uh modern take on psychedelic music um and i liked it a lot are bands recording tracks live again like is that is that become come back into i'm so far out of the world of music (laughs) like has that because i was i've been i was just randomly thinking about james brown this morning and like it it was a weird mental tangent but i was like well if you can isolate this james Brown, oh but you probably couldn't isolate any james brown tracks because i i assume they recorded all that stuff live and it was like, well, wait, if it's good enough for James Brown, why can't bands do it now? Uh, I, I think that the the honest answer is just that bands are lazy now. And that it's oh, way no. easier to come, like, you know, as, so, you know, all three of us are musicians on this call. And, you know, I can play a bass part 90% of the way there live with a band. But if I'm given 100 takes to do it, I can do it 100% of the way there, you know. Oh, yeah. so you mean it's the lazy way to do it is, is like the tracked studio recording? Yeah, just no. because. Yeah, just just because you have you have, you don't have to be as yeah, well practiced, you, right? Because you can mess up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but that's why, so, and that's why James Brown's band could pull off doing it live, right? Because they weren't allowed to mess up. Exactly. Yeah, no, not at all. I did have the fortune uh, of seeing him once, oh, which man. was pretty. pretty I've great. also seen. Yeah, I also God saw damn, James both Brown. of you. Yeah, cool. uh, it wasn't. Un, the un, best. I, I'll, I'll be honest. It was like a little bit like it was like a 
it was like almost like a, uh, and this wasn't even, it was, it was still a little while before he, no, it wasn't that long before he died. It was like a year before he died, I think. Um, cause he died. I, I remember he died the same day as Gerald Ford. Um, and I want to say that was like 2005 maybe. Um, and I would, and I saw him in 2003. Um, and he was, he was, he wasn't, it was fine. You know, like the band was awesome, but he wasn't James Brown. Like he probably was in the eighties. That's how I feel. I saw Old Dirty Bastard not long before he died. And I feel like a similar thing. I wish I had seen him five years earlier. Yeah. But Yeah. Uh, so my pick is is born out of working from home for a year. I have like four different spots in the house that I do work from, depending on what the kids are doing, if my wife is home, etc. And one of them is in front of the basement television if the upstairs of my house has been uh, kidified. And so I'm always looking for concerts and things to watch on Amazon Prime or YouTube just to have on in the background. And the other day I stumbled across a concert by the short-lived Seattle uh, 90s supergroup Mad Season, which had Lane Staley from Alice in Chains on lead vocals, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam on guitar, and Barrett Martin from Screaming Trees on drums. And uh, the live show was really, really good. And so I started doing some research and the Mad Season, there was only one Mad Season record, it's called Above, and it came out in 95, and they put out a deluxe version a couple of years ago that has this whole concert as a bonus disc, as well as some tracks they had started with Lane Staley before he died, but were finished by um, a, a guy who was the, the sometime singer in the band, and is also the sometime singer in uh, Queens of the Stone Age, and that's Mark Lanigan. Uh, Mark Lanigan, yeah. yeah. So, um... Mad Season, Mark Lanigan sings on two songs on the album. I think there's three or four demos that he finished on the deluxe edition of it. And if you know a Mad Season song, you might know River of Deceit, kind of a 90s like alt-rock radio uh, minor hit, but a really solid album. And the live show has a guy named Skerritt on saxophone. Oh, that's, that's like my that's, He was on the – Skerritt was on the on the track on the album I recommended last time. I know. That's why I picked it. I, oh, I, okay. I, I, <laughs> I, was, I was circling around to that. I was saying that. But, yeah, uh, Skerritt has played with Les Claypool and lots of other people. And so I thought it was cool that I had I had wanted to pick that. And then I remembered that Skerritt had, pl- Skerritt had played on the thing that you had picked. So He's like my favorite musician. He's yeah. so good. So Ted uh, Amazon Prime, Mad Season – I saw that guy on the street in Park Slope one time and I stopped him. I was like, you're Skerrick. And he seemed actually it's like it's how I feel when Mets fans say hello to me on the street where it's like it swiftly becomes I'm more excited to talk to them than they are to talk to me because I'm like so psyched to have been recognized. And like that's what it seemed like with Skerrick. He's like, oh, cool, man. Do you live around here? What do you play? What do you do? Yeah, it's like. Because, <laughs> um, like, that's not a guy who gets recognized on the street all that often. No, no. So he plays uh, vibraphone, bongos, and sax on this live recording. So all of it's on the Mad Season Above Deluxe Edition. And uh, it also just is a reminder of how tragic the loss of Lane Staley was. And uh, this band was actually started by – so Mike McCready went to rehab after recording Pro Jam's Vitology. And he met a bass player there and brought the bass player back to Seattle – and they were there. They were kind of each other's sober buddies to keep each other on the right path. And, and McCready was friends with Barrett Martin, who then they, they started this band. And then they got Lane Staley thinking, if we get Lane into this band, maybe him being around sober folks will help keep him sober. 
And, uh, it's a mm, classic bad plan. Yes, it is. And then the bass player actually uh, overdosed on heroin a few years after that as well. So it's a really tragic, sad story, but the album is really good. It's like a bluesier Alice in Chains. Um, and yeah, it's that I think is definitely worth checking out. Um, but not bluesier Alice in Chains in the way of that one song that's kind of cheesy where they like go into the Guns N' Roses. Well, I got my woman, I got my show. No, no, no. Okay. I, yeah, I, I, no, no. I believe uh, you're referring to too. Don't Follow? Yeah, yeah. From Jar right. of Flies? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this has been three guys from the 90s talking about Alice in Chains. Um, <laughs> what do you guys think about Mud Honey? <laughs> I love Mud Honey. <laughs> Touch me, I'm They're... sick. <laughs> they are they are a blast live, and Mark Arm is the best. Uh, it just is like a dude. Uh, one there was there we're, we're going deeper into this. Brian and I, I think I already talked about it, but <clears throat> um, Mopop. I know I was I don't know I was pressing a specific button. <laughs> oh, I yes, was you just are. pressing a button. Yeah, <laughs> but wait, hold on, I'll, I'll try to keep it uh, concise. But there, Mopop, this awesome museum in Seattle, did like a they do like sort of a career achievement sort of award for a different band each year and they did Alice in Chains during the pandemic a lot of bands did covers they put this whole thing together it was really cool and in it Mark Arm just did like a quick little you know recorded on Zoom at home kind of uh, like video congratulations to them and his dog was the most ridiculous little dog uh, and it was just perfect like they were the, they were the same he they were the same level of white <laughs> Their hair was similar. It was this little poopy dog. But Mark Arm is also awesome, uh, not only from the Mudhoney shows I've seen where they put on a hell of a show, um, but back when All Tomorrow's Parties was still a festival and uh, it, it happened in Monticello, I went once. And Mudhoney played and Iggy and the Stooges played in the same night. And when you know Mudhoney did their set, there may have been one band in between, <clears throat> but then during the Stooges set, I'd look over, it's me and my cousin, and on our right is Mark Arm in the crowd, like getting into it. He just like everybody else. And I always, uh, I'll always remember that and, and respect it because, you know, he's, he had just performed. <laughs> he can, obviously could be recognized by everybody there, but he was not above getting into the fray and just being a Stooges fan like everybody else in the room. Uh, so that, that is my Mark Arm story. Yeah. I feel like that's a thing that sometimes you see at festivals is you get to see like the bands getting down on the other bands. And that's like one of the one of the great pleasures of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just, you know, Ted, there are there's like 50 bands you could have said in that moment that one of us would have had a similar like reaction to. So, <laughs> well, like, wait, did, did Chris also jump in with Mark Lanigan when I said Mark Lanigan? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. I, yeah, definitely. I feel like I saw, I saw yeah. Mudhoney or did I see Mudhoney or Meat Puppets with Jay Jaffe? I think it was Meat Puppets <laughs> we saw together. Maybe it was uh, both. That's funny. I believe you. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ted, if people have, have, uh, Mark Lanigan takes. Where can they find you on the internet to share them with you? Uh, I am on Twitter at OG Ted Berg, um, and they can email. I'm at asktedberg at gmail.com. Uh, everybody check out Metrospectives, and, uh, you know, as always, check out the other Amazing Avenue podcasts, Elite, uh, A Pot of Their Own, Unformidable, From Complex to Queens. We are proud of all of our shows, even if Ted makes fun of us for having a lot of them. Yeah, they're, they're all good. I'm not saying they're not good. You just have a lot of shows. <laughs> hey. 
Uh, spoiler alert! We're trying, they, to, there may we're be trying more. to compete, right? Like I'm trying to take down the Amazing Avenue Podcast Empire, and you guys put on a new show every day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I got I got kids to feed. You know, I gotta take care of these kids. Uh, you can find our shows on on uh, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can find them there. Um, you can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Uh, Chris is at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Thank you, Ted. And until next time, let's go Mets.